Anybody know what this Thursday is? Thanksgiving. <clears throat> you know, sometimes I think it's good to, uh, when we come to the house of the Lord, to <clears throat> just participate in expressing what's on our hearts. And I hope in this season that you've already begun to reflect on something or some things or some people that you are thankful for, maybe something directly connected with our Lord. And so I'm just going to invite us for the next couple of minutes, if you have something that's on your heart or in your spirit that you're thankful about, I'd like you just to kind of shout that out. You don't have to shout. But just speak aloud and and tell us, just in a sentence, something you're thankful for. It could be one word. I'm thankful for family, salvation, health, uh, God's working, whatever. But I just wonder today if someone would like to just share a testimony of thanks. Something you're thankful for. Thankful for your husband. Your husband also. Friends. Family, Hebron Church, the freedom we have in this country. Alexandra, young lady that you know, amen. Work, wow, all right, good. What was that? The empty tomb, amen. Thank you for the pastoral staff. The blessing board, amen. The other church staff, yes. <laughs> I, I hear you emphasizing other, brother. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. Good. His endless grace and mercy. God's faithfulness, amen. My family, my family. How appropriate, my sister. Okay, our incredible, faithful teachers and leaders who work in our children's ministry. And uh, I want to do an article for the Herald sometime because we have people in there that have been teaching for 60 years. It's awesome. Any other thankfulness? Okay, thankful for just everybody the Lord's brought in your life. Good. Our great facilities, amen. The Groves. So I guess, yes, Jan? Amen. Amen. For her children, how they minister to her. That's good. What's that? Family in Hebron. Amen, sister. Good. So we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And it's good sometimes to share that and express that. Even in times of brokenness, perhaps all the more important to do it then. We continue our series on brokenness and transformation. And as Doug has already taught us, we, because of the sin that came into this world and consequently is in our lives, there initially is a brokenness with God that can be transformed. Then a brokenness with our own selves that He can transform. A brokenness with others that can be transformed. And then finally, a brokenness 
in our world. Yes, the world at large and kind of in our own personal world as well. Let's see what happens in Joseph's world. This is the son of Jacob, who we've been studying, the Joseph of the Old Testament, if you will. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, that's now Jacob's new name, Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And he had a real good time. Oh, okay, here we go, okay. (laughs) When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. Before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Reuben was the oldest brother. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and get him back or take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers sold Joseph up out of the cistern, or pulled him up out of the cistern, and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Almost an unbelievable story. When we talk about the brokenness of our world, we really have to travel biblically back to the opening chapters of Genesis. That was a perfect world in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. But then sin came, and God removes them from the Garden. And He says, Adam, because you disobeyed me and you sinned, from now on you will sweat and struggle to survive. Eve, because of the sin, You will now experience pain in childbearing. I suppose that long after the garden, when Adam is sweating in a field trying to grow a crop and his back is aching, he must have fought back in the brokenness of that moment to the perfect garden. 
When Eve is in the grip of searing pain and death-like struggle as she gives birth to children, her mind perhaps goes back from that brokenness to the perfect world of the garden. And then when Adam and Eve, as parents, stand in brokenness by the graveside of their son Abel, murdered by his own brother, their son Cain, perhaps they thought back to the perfect world, but now in brokenness because of sin. Cain makes an angry choice and is marked for life. Abel brings the right sacrifice, does the right thing, and is hated and murdered for it. You can just see the ripple of expansion down through human, the, ra- the human race and the world itself. Till today, because of sin back then, we continue with corruption, pollution, deprivation, disaster, disease, hunger, violence, brokenness from what once was a perfect world. How about our own personal worlds? I think probably if every one of us here today is honest, there are times when our world has been broken as dreams or plans or relationships or health or finances have become broken. That's kind of the experience that even the saints of God testify to. Jacob, whom Doug had been teaching us on the last couple of weeks, testifies when he's well over 100 in Genesis 47 and verse 8, my days have been few and difficult. Job, the great man of the Bible, says in Job 14 and verse 1, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 6 and verse 34, each day has enough of its own trouble. And also in John 16 and verse 33, the Lord Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We have broken worlds. And Joseph did also. Now, I've got to give you a bit of background about Joseph and his brothers. When we read this story and we see their betrayal of him, they didn't like Joseph. Earlier in Genesis, we find that Joseph had tattled on his older brothers. We find that Joseph was dad's favorite, given the richly ornamented coat, or as the King James says, the coat of many colors. Where's Kathy DeLuca? Kathy, could you stand? That's a modern-day Joseph's coat right there. They could readily and easily say, Joseph, you're dad's favorite. They didn't like it, understandably. And then Joseph, given dreams that we believe ultimately came from God, but yet naive in the sense of sharing with his brother's dreams that basically said, I'm going to be superior to the rest of you. 
So they say, here comes that dreamer. And they rip his world apart. There are four things about this brokenness of Joseph's world that I think you and I can relate to today. The first is the challenge. In this setting, Joseph is trying to do right, and it turns out wrong. You see, he's doing his father's will. His dad said, go find your brothers. Find out how it's going. So he's doing his father's will, and he's reaching out to his brothers. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Doing the father's will and reaching out to his brethren. And the Bible says, though he tries to do the right thing, it turns out wrong. How often does that happen in our world? Think of the spouse who has supported their mate through the struggle to success only when the success is reached to be dumped by that mate. Think of the health-conscious individual that has exercised faithfully and eaten carefully and regimented vitamin and supplement into their life only to be struck down with a massive heart attack or a devastating disease. Now sometimes in our world of brokenness, we're trying to do right and it turns out wrong. We're trying to be helpful, and it turns out hurtful. We're trying to do good, and it turns out bad. In every one of these things, we can see a parallel to the earthly journey of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, Acts chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed by God with the Holy Ghost, went about doing good and healing people who were under the power of Satan. And the very next verse says, and they killed him and hung him on a tree. That's the challenge. Doing the right thing turns out wrong. Then we see with Joseph there is not only the challenge, but there is the key, the confusion. The Bible tells us in this passage that the people who betray him are not these Midianite travelers. It's not some stranger that he meets on the way to Dothan. It is his own brothers. The Bible says it's his brothers who say, let's kill him. The Bible says it's his brothers who strip his dad's gift to him right off his back. It's his brothers who throw him in the cistern. It's his brothers who ignore his pleas. It's his brothers who sell him into slavery. A little bit like the person who has a trusted financial advisor and has invested their hopes and dreams financially, perhaps their life saving with that advisor, only to find out they've been scammed and the money's gone. It's the child who's been abused or molested or violated by someone they love or trust. Great article in last Sunday's Tribune Review by Joseph Sabino Mystic in the sports section, and it was entitled, Hey Coach! 
And the point of the article was there are terms in our culture and society that speak of respect and trust, starting with the basics from Mr. and Mrs. to doctor or counselor or professor. He didn't mention it, but we could include pastor. Those whom we, by the title we give them, we give them, in a sense, our trust and our respect. And how shocking and how confusing and how heartbreaking when that is betrayed. The article made the point, there are young people who look to a coach. They want to play for him. They want to learn from him. They respect him. They call him coach or her coach. And then to be betrayed. It's Joseph's own brothers who turn on him. There are parents who've experienced that from children. Spouses who've experienced that from mates. Members who've experienced that from a church. We could go on and on. What about the Lord Jesus? The Bible tells us regarding the Lord Jesus, Luke 22 Verses 47 and 48, that on the night of his betrayal, it is Judas, one of the twelve. He is an apostle. He has been one of the closest companions of Jesus Christ for the last three, three and a half years of Jesus' life. And the Bible says he walks up in the garden and Jesus says to Judas a phrase that is so heartbreaking in the Scripture. He said, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You see, in that culture, the rabbi was respected or the teacher and often the pupil would out of respect greet the rabbi by coming and placing their hands upon their shoulder or the sides of their arms there and planting a kiss upon the cheek as a sign of respect and Judas Iscariot uses the sign of respect with Jesus Christ there in the garden to betray him and turn him over to those who would take away his life. I remember one old gospel preacher saying it, and something that's always stayed with me for years. He said, Judas kissed the door to heaven and turned and went to hell. Betrayed by his own. David said in the Psalms, my own familiar friend, the one who ate bread with me. Doug's often taught us that in the Scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament culture, when you ate with someone, that's because you were close with them. You were intimate with them. David said the one I was close to, intimate with, they lifted up their heel. They betrayed me. Not only the challenge, not only the confusion, but hear the cries later in the book of Genesis The Bible tells us that when the brothers are before Joseph, who now is a powerful ruler in Egypt, but they don't recognize him, and they're on the hot seat, they say, boy, remember when when we threw our brother in the pit and he cried to us and we ignored his pleas. We did not listen. I can imagine Joseph and the shock. He's in the cistern. He hears talk of murdering him or in some way getting rid of him. And these are his brothers. And I can hear Joseph cry out, Guys, I'm your brother. Please don't hurt me. Just send me back to dad. I'm sorry if I bothered you. I'm sorry if I'm saying, Please, guys, you don't mean this. You can't mean this. You can't do this. Help me, please. And the Bible says they wouldn't listen. Have you ever known the broken world 
of crying out, and it doesn't seem like anybody's listening. It's the person who's the victim crying out for justice. Doesn't seem like anybody's listening. It's the poor crying out for relief. But it doesn't seem like anybody's listening. It's the lonely crying out for love. Doesn't seem like anybody's listening. It's the addict crying out for freedom. Doesn't seem like anybody's listening. It's the confused crying out for direction. And it doesn't seem like anybody's listening. You say, Jesus Christ, on the cross, Matthew 26 and verse 15, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Judas, maybe I can understand it. Peter, it hurts. But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The broken world of challenge, trying to do right, it turns out wrong. The broken world of confusion, those closest to us, letting us down or turning on us sometimes. The broken world of cries, crying out, our heart breaking, our spirit reaching out, and it doesn't seem like anybody hears. And then there's the brokenness of the cost. Joseph is sold, the Bible says, for 20 pieces of silver. That was interesting to read the commentators on why they think it was 20 pieces of silver. Some suggested, well, the brothers didn't want to appear greedy. You've got to be kidding me. They're going to kill the guy, but they don't want to appear greedy. On the other hand, some have suggested that the traders wanted to pay a cheap price for Joseph so they could make more money on him on the auction block down in Egypt. Some have suggested that in the culture of that day and time, and you can follow it up in the book of Exodus, that a young person was sold for or recognized for a worth of 20 pieces of silver. Some say they just were willing to take any price, just get rid of him, we want him out of here. Whatever, in reality, to take your own flesh and blood and send them to a fate perhaps worse than death for 20 pieces of silver, that's what I would call undervaluing. It's like the employee who's given labor and loyalty to their company for years on end, only to be unceremoniously terminated. It's like the pastor who in another state founded a church and for 17 years poured his life, sweat, and blood into that congregation, only after 17 years to be told, you're not modernizing the church fast enough. We're voting you out. Undervalued. Underappreciated. And our world breaks apart. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, according to, again, the Gospel of Matthew, that the Lord Jesus was sold 
for 30 pieces of silver. Exodus 21, that's the price of a slave. He who went about doing good, he who delivered the demoniacs, he who healed the sick, he who fed the hungry, he who raised the dead, he who had nothing but full of grace and truth in his life and his mouth and his spirit, he is taken and sent to die for 30 lousy pieces of silver. You talk about undervalued. You talk about underappreciated. Sold out. Yes? Our worlds are represented in the brokenness of the world of Joseph. But the instruction that we're receiving in these Bible studies is about how God can even take brokenness and transform it into wholeness. And Doug will teach us on that next week, but I couldn't leave you on a negative note. I would just say to you this morning that even in our broken worlds, there are a couple of reminders. The first is that even in our brokenness, focus on the Lord. Steph Kanabi, leader of our ladies' ministries here at Hebron, was sharing how that one of the ladies' groves has been studying the last couple of times on brokenness. And they came to the conclusion that, yes, brokenness is there. There's no getting around that in our lives. But what they said is we have to shift the focus from the brokenness to the Lord. And, you know, I thought how biblical, because the Bible tells us in Matthew 16 and verse 33, in the parable of the soul, in the seed, that the sower went out and began to sow the seed. Some of the seed fell uh, on the wayside and the birds came and devoured it. Some of the seed fell in shallow ground. It grew up for just a moment. The sun came out and it just burned away. And then some of it fell on ground where it began to produce until the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches came along and choked it, and it became unfruitful. That phrase, the worries of life, that's literally the brokenness of our worlds. And sometimes when our worlds begin to break up, there is a tendency to take our focus away from the Lord and away from faith and away from the principles that we know are biblical and true and righteous and honorable and just give in. What I love about Joseph as we'll continue to study his life is simply the fact that even in the most betrayed and awkward and indecent situations, he remained faithful to the principles of righteousness that he knew. Number two, even in our brokenness, we can still be a blessing. Sometimes, our brokenness can encourage somebody else that they're not alone in their brokenness. I just walked into a gas station two nights ago, and a young man who was handling the cash register was beside himself because he had been to serve divorce papers. And he's just sitting there, and he said, I don't even know what to do. He's just almost talking out of his head. I was able to try to bring some encouragement. I said, friend, I, I know what you're talking about. Sometimes God can use us to be a blessing, even in the brokenness. So don't be totally angry or against it. And then God can certainly turn it around, as we'll see next week with Joseph.
You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that all things, he doesn't delineate the good from the bad, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He can take the worst and somehow turn it to the best. I remember my dad telling about biscuits. Man, I love biscuits. Do you love biscuits? Amen, amen Brother Chuck. Glad to get an amen in church this morning. My dad said his mom, she didn't buy those biscuits you pop out of the can. She'd home make them. He said she'd take some flour, some uh, uh, baking soda, and some salt, and so on. He said none of those things by themselves any good. You ever take a mouthful of flour? Man, that's nasty. Or just salt or baking soda. But he said you mix it all together and you bake it. And man, when that biscuit comes out, he said, don't get any on your forehead because your tongue will slap your brains out trying to get it. <laughs> See, that's bad stuff, brokenness, and good stuff, blessing mixed together. But God turns it all to good somehow. We may not see it now. We may not see it in this life, but in eternity. So we continue to trust him. I should finish the one verse that I began to quote earlier from Jesus. He said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. But the verse goes on. But, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. 